Welcome back, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Carla Reads the Classics. Let's jump right back into Theodore Pratt's The Money, Segment 20. The next morning, Joey overslept and didn't get to the clubhouse early as he had planned. By the time he arrived, the others were already there, drinking Cokes, the big flag flying outside, the door closed, and the TV playing. At first, Joey thought they had already found out, for George greeted him in an accusatory tone. "'Where you been?' Henny said. "'We've been waiting for you.' Apprehensively, though he looked about and didn't see the box, Joey asked, "'What for?' "'What for?' Gracie demanded, as if he shouldn't have forgotten something so important. "'Today's taking out day,' Paul reminded. "'Don't you want your four dollars?' Joey's heart sank. He'd forgotten. This meant digging up the box before he could get the packet in his pocket back in. They'd notice, or maybe they wouldn't. Maybe, during the process, he could slip it back in without their seeing. They began the digging immediately, Henny doing it. "'Where'd you go yesterday?' George asked Joey. He thought George sounded suspicious, but he didn't see how he could be. Joey said, "'The zoo.' He watched guardedly while the box was unearthed and brought forth. It was handed to George, who examined the seals. George accepted the seal on the one side, letting the others give an examination also, and then turned it over. "'Looks all right here, too,' he said, and was about to pass that one, to Joey's relief, when he looked more intently at the box. "'What's this candle grease dripping here?' George pointed to several spots not on the conjunction of the string to form a seal, but to one side, having nothing to do with the seal. Henny announced, "'That splatter wasn't there when we put it away.' "'It sure wasn't,' George declared. "'Somebody's been in the box!' Gracie cried. Paul said, "'It looks that way.' Joey thought his heart would stop. They looked around at each other, and he looked too, so as to appear just exactly like them. George reached and turned off the TV. That was done only in grave circumstances. He tapped the money box, touched the telltale marks, and with one finger rubbed them. Who? Not me. Not me. Not me. Not me. Joey gave his denial with emphasis. George was the last. And not me. He surveyed them. Somebody's lying. Somebody's a liar. And a thief. They stared at each other, the innocent looking guilty along with the guilty. Ominously, George stated, Somebody, and I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't, Joey cried. Again, he was shrill. He wished he hadn't been so loud. He knew how sensitive they were to nuances. They glared at him, seeming to draw conclusions. They closed in on him. You were the only one away yesterday. George pointed out. That doesn't mean anything. It might not mean anything, but in connection with the money box tampering, it made him singular. What'd you do at the zoo? I just looked around, saw the animals. Yeah? Yeah. What else did you do? Nothing. George tapped the money box again. And you say you didn't do this. Joey shook his head, not trusting his voice this time. That was a mistake, too. They stared at him some more. They were becoming convinced. I think he did, said Henny. He sounds like it, Paul said. He did it, Gracie held. Sure he did, 
George agreed. I didn't do anything. I tell you, I didn't. They were positive now. All they needed was evidence or a confession. They searched for the first when George, without another word, ripped off the string holding the seals. He lifted the lid of the money box. They all crowded around to see, Joey included, to illustrate his innocence. George picked up some of the packets and examined them. Not much could be told this way, but he kept on looking. He scrambled about in them as if looking for something in particular, and then he announced, The one mark, $3,000 on a piece of paper is gone. I always notice that, and it's gone. 3000 exclaimed Gracie. Maybe, there's, maybe more is gone, said Henny. Paul turned to Joey. Did you take any more? I didn't take that, and you can't, George demanded. What'd you do with it? Joey quavered. I didn't do anything. What'd you do? George shouted. Nothing. Maybe he still got it, suggested Paul. Grimly, George said, he better have. Or some of it, said Henny. Gracie proposed, we'd better get it back. In a clipped tone, giving orders to his minions, George instructed them, Search him! Joey gave a yell as they grabbed for him, but he didn't have a chance. His legs and arms were still flailing as best they could when hands went in, his po in the pockets of his shorts and one of Henny's came up with a packet of money. They let him go and now they looked at him with real accusation, as a thief is looked upon. Joey sulked. We'd better count it, said Gracie. You do it, Paul. Paul took the packet, kneeling before one of the chairs he removed kneeling before one of the chairs, he removed the rubber band and the slip of paper. The hundred dollar bill slipped from his hands to make a pile. Paul counted out loud as he laid them down. Interest was intense when he got into the twenties and he kept on until thirty was re was reached and reported. It's all here. He put the rubber band and paper back and added the packet to those in the box. George told the others, sit him on his chair. Henny pulled Joey down to sit on his chair. The others sat on theirs. George began the interrogation. You better tell us if you took any more. Miserably, now willing to admit it, Joey mumbled, that's all. You better say, George threatened, because we're going to count the whole box, and if more is missing, it'll go twice as bad with you. I didn't take any more. We'd better count it now, suggested Henny. Paul asked Gracie, how much was in it the last time? I don't know, said Gracie. You remember we stopped keeping track. Then it won't do any good to count it, said Henny. So we'll never know, said Paul. George stated levelly, he's going to tell us. Joey murdered a repetition of denial. I didn't take any more. That was all, and I meant to put it back yesterday, but I couldn't, and I tried to this morning and couldn't. Then why'd you take it? demanded Henny. George instructed, Let me ask the questions. He turned to Joey. I want you to tell everything you did and why you did it. In alarm, Joey said, What are you going to do? We'll decide that after we hear what you've got to say. When he mentioned the camel, Paul, Henny, and Gracie cried out with groans of protests. George motioned them to silence and instructed Joey to go on. When he got to the part about offering the money to the keeper, George himself cried out, You mean you showed it to him? Joey bobbed his head. Go on, 
Go on. What happened? Joey was rattled now. He thought it was funny money. Funny money? I mean, play money. He didn't think it was real. The other musketeers relaxed a little. George made Joey tell of everything that was done and said at the zoo, forcing him to repeat a number of things and to clear up others. At the end, when he, when all had been told, some of it several times, and they were convinced the zookeeper didn't realize what he had been looking at, George cried to Joey, "'You and your camel!' Again, Joey wanted to know, "'What are you going to do?' George considered. "'Something's got to be done to him,' said Henny. "'He ought to be taught a lesson,' Gracie agreed. "'So he won't do it again,' said Paul. "'He's going to be taught a lesson, all right,' said George. "'And a good one.' "'What?' quavered Joey. "'You ought to know,' he wailed. "'I don't know!' You swore on pain of death not to tell anybody. Stricken with fear, Joey shrilled. I didn't tell anybody. You showed the money. It's the same thing. I didn't tell. You showed it. I gave it all back. It doesn't mean pain of death. Oh, don't worry. We aren't going to kill you, at least not this time, although we ought to. Joey looked less stricken. The first thing, George decreed, is you don't get the four dollars takeout this week. Joey showed relief at the comparatively light sentence. That's all right. That's just the small part. You were told that if you got out of line, your bare bottom would be whacked, so we're going to whack it. Joey gulped and protested. You can't do that. Inexorably, George told him, we're going to do it. As though presenting a good argument against this, Joey cried, I'm a musketeer. You're going to be a musketeer with a hot bottom. George informed him. Joey offered another recommendation for himself not to suffer such a dire punishment. I'm the stockholder. George paid no attention. He looked at Paul and started to give instructions to him, seemed to think better of it, and then told Henny, You go out and look in the extra lumber we brought to build the clubhouse and get a good paddle. Henny went out. Joey made himself heard again. It isn't fair. That's too much. Shut up. George warned him, or it'll take twice as much. Joey, at this threat, fell silent, sitting tensely and fearfully. Henny came back with a board about four inches wide and two feet long, roughly shaped like a paddle with a tapering end to make a good handle. George took it up. George took it and got up. All right, he said to Joey. You can lean over your chair. Babbling with protest that did not come out clearly, Joey kneeled down in front of his chair and put his arms on it. The others watched. Drop your pants, George ordered. Now Joey found his voice again. I won't do it. Drop them. Joey turned his head and turned his head and became more articulate. I won't do it, he indicated Gracie. Not with her here. Coolly, Gracie said, Don't mind me. George informed Joey. I told you it was going to be bare, and it's going to be bare. He had dropped the we to represent them all and had adopted the first person singular for his orders. I won't do it. I won't. George motioned to Henny and Paul. Pull them down. Joey started to get up, but Henny and Paul fell on him. One held while the other found the fastener to his shorts and the elastic belt of his jockey undershorts beneath. They were both pulled down to hang just above his knees on the ground. Paul stood up and said, You can't see anything. Henny opined, 
He hasn't got anything to see anyway. Joey whimpered, but he didn't cry out when George swung and gave him the first blow. He shivered, but no sound came from him. George gave him a second, and still there was silence from Joey's mouth. As if infuriated at this, George began to get George began to hit harder. Each of his blows made a loud, cracking noise. But even after ten, when Joey's small bottom had reddened, he made no sound. George handed the paddle to Henny. You try it. How many does he get? Ten each. Henny's blows were almost as hard as those of George, and Joey's bottom became redder and began to swell. The paddle was handed to Gracie. She didn't spare Joey, but spanked hard, and still Joey did not cry out. He could be seen to be screwing up his face and gritting his teeth and pressing his lips together as though by main force preventing himself from making a sound. Paul took the paddle. George spurred him on. Maybe you can make him holler. Paul spanked because Joey needed to be punished, but not as hard as the others. Joey's bottom was now a mess of swelling a mat. Joey's bottom was now a mass of red swelling. Hit him, George cried to Paul. But Paul hit no harder. At the end, George snatched the paddle from Paul and began to administer more blows. The others were so surprised at this that they did nothing for a moment. George swung savagely, and a look of fierce hate and intense concentration was on his face, as though he needed to get back at something. Joey's body quavered and sank a little lower, weaving from side to side, but he made no sound. At the fourth blow given in this fashion by George, Paul shouted, That's enough! George started to swing again, but Paul leaped in front of him, standing before Joey. Get out of the way, cried George. You're hurting him, advised Paul. You and your ten, Gracie said. It's enough, said Henny. George started to raise the paddle as if to hit Paul with it. He was breathing heavily. He put down the paddle. They looked at Joey's bottom. It composed two red suns swelled to nearly twice the regular size of his little buttocks, on which black and blue was beginning to appear. Get up, Paul told him. Joey got up, facing away, lifting his underpants and shorts with him. Gingerly and tenderly, he pulled them over his backside and fastened them. When he turned around, tears could be seen washing his blue eyes, but he was not crying. They were another kind of tears. Paul, Henny, and Gracie looked at him with admiration for his having taken the punishment without giving a whimper. He saw their look and was grateful. He blinked and managed to half-smile, and they smiled back. Only George did not recognize it. Roughly, he told Joey, If you say anything about this to anybody, or let anybody see it, you'll get it all over again. Joey did not half-smile at George. End of segment 20. Thanks for listening. Until next time.